6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck completes his teaching on the book of Nehemiah, chapters 1 and 2. And somebody says, what's that? He says, that's one of the rocks. That's one of the stones that didn't cry out. And you got a chance to get into Luke 19 and Daniel 9, and they brought it up. You know, it's a good thing. So, but anyway... Um, Cost you nothing, but it'll be a treasured possession. Now, let's talk a little bit about the chronology of Christ's ministry. His ministry began in the fall of 28 A.D. Tiberius was appointed in 14 A.D. Augustus died in August 19th of 14 A.D. And Luke 3, verse 1 says it was the 15th year of Tiberius. Now, don't get confused. Don't add 15. It's the 15th year. It's, in other words, he's in the 15th year. So you add 14 to the 14, you get 28. You with me? You know, I always, I always enjoy, when someone turns 50, I always say, welcome to your sixth decade. You see, same idea, if you will. If, if you are in your 14th year, how old are you? 13 and something. Right? You, you follow me? You're not 14. You're 13 and six months or whatever. Are you with me? So, so it's the 15th year of Tiberius. In other words, he's been ruling for 14 already. So it's 14 plus 14, 28. Anyway. The fourth Passover was April 6, 32 A.D., and we're indebted to Sir Robert Anderson, who got knighted. Uh, he, he published The Coming Prince in 1894, and if you want to get into this, he nails all this very thoroughly. And uh, Now, there are people that try to make a different year because they're trying to defend a Friday crucifixion. And there are many good scholars that hold that view. Don't misunderstand me. But there are a number of us that believe that the that you can't get three days and three nights between Friday and Sunday. And furthermore, the Scripture clearly says there were two uh, um, Sabbaths that week. Matthew 28, 1 says, when the Sabbaths were passed, plural, which means there are seven, in addition to the Saturday Sabbaths that we all are familiar with, there are seven high Sabbaths throughout the year, one of which is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And when the women went to that Tomb. There were two. They they had waited for two Sabbaths to go by. Not just Saturday, but either Thursday or Friday, depending on what year and so forth. So, anyway, the net net of it is is that there are a number of us that believe he was crucified on either either Wednesday or Thursday. You can make either one work. But uh, the fourth Passover would have been April sixth, thirty two A.D. And uh, we'll move on. So that turns out. Well, what what's this all getting to? The angel Gabriel told Daniel it would be 173,880 days from the decree to rebuild Jerusalem unto the Mashiach Nagid, the Messiah, the King. Well, from 445 B.C. to 32 A.D. is 173,740 days on our calendar. But you've got March 14th to April 6th. That's another 24 days. And you've got to go through the leap year calculations. And I won't bore you with that in detail here. They're all well documented in our notes and also in Sir Robert Anderson's work. It's 116 days. When you get that comes to 173,880 days. What was Gabriel's mar- margin for error? Zero. Gabriel told Daniel the exact day that the Mashiach would present himself as the Nagid, the king to Jerusalem. And uh, it's interesting that all of this 
is part of the Old Testament, Daniel's prophecy and all this. It is translated into Greek in the so-called Septuagint version of the Greek, which was, which was published 300 years before Christ's ministry. It's a matter of secular record. And so um, the possibility of this happening by accident, the possibility that this was contrived, that Jesus somehow managed this on that day to fulfill his prophecy, having been born of the genealogy that was laid out before him, and on and on. There's over 300 details of his life that were pre-written centuries before the fact is the most conclusive. I am more certain that Jesus Christ is the Messiah of Israel than I am my own name or any other fact I could conjure up. I know of no fact that is more thoroughly certified than this one, interestingly enough. But you got to do your homework to do it. Now, let's take a look at what Jesus did that day. He's continuing a few verses later. When he's come near, he's riding the donkey up from Bethany, up over the Mount of Olives, going uh, westward, coming down through the Kedon Valley, and there's the Jerusalem before. When he's come near, he beheld the city, and what did he do? He wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, get this, at least in this thy day, the thing which belonged to thy peace. But now they are hid from thine eyes. He not only declares this very day was prophesied, he expected them to recognize it, but because they didn't, it's hidden from them. It's hidden. He says so. He declares judicial blindness on Israel right here. You ever wonder why a very bright rabbi can see all this and be totally blind to it? That's strange, isn't it? But it's, you have to see it to believe it. Learned men, look at this. I don't get it. And yet, there it is, clear as me. Are they blinded forever? No. Paul tells us in Romans eleven twenty five that Israel is blinded until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And Katie barred the door. Now, it's very interesting. Jesus goes on in the next verse and says, For the day shall come upon thee, that thine enemy shall cast a trench about thee, encompass thee round, and keep thee in on every side. And they shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone left upon another. And 38 years later, after Jesus said that, the Roman legions, the 5th, 10th, 12th, and 15th Roman legions, laid siege to the city of Jerusalem for like nine months. Over a million men, women, and children slaughtered. Another half a million died because of the famine and pestilence that ensues. The fall of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. Major milestone in Jewish history. Starts the diaspora. Question. Why was Jerusalem destroyed in 70 A.D.? A lot of good questions for that. Let me give you... Let the next part of this verse gives you Christ's answer. This will all happen because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. Oh, wait a minute. Jesus Christ held them accountable. No, no, Daniel 9. That's sobering. Now getting back to Daniel 70 weeks, we just took two of the four verses. The next verse talks about the interval between after the 69th and before the 70th. It says, after three score and two, there were seven plus three score and two, shall the Messiah be cut off, karat, executed, but not for himself. For whom? Who is he executed for? Me. You. Not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come. Now this is one of 33 titles in the Old Testament of this guy we call the Antichrist. The people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. 
Well, we know who destroyed the city and the sanctuary, don't we? Roman armies. This is one of a number of reasons why we believe that the prince that shall come will be in some sense a Roman. Because it was his people that destroyed the city and the sanctuary. You follow me? It's a reflexive, an ellipsis, but it's pretty clear. The people of the princes shall come, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a, a flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. Okay. So we have verse 25. Verse 24 is the scope of the whole thing. Verse 25 of the first 69 weeks. We talked about that. Verse 27, the last of the four, will be this last week. But between verse 25 and verse 27, there's a verse 26. And it details some things that happen after the 69 weeks, but before the 70th. You with me? So that's how we realize that they're not contiguous, that there's a gap, there's an interval. Now what happens? The Messiah shall be cut out, executed, and the temple shall be destroyed. And destroy the city and the sanctuary. The city and the sanctuary, the Jerusalem and the temple. When did that happen? 70 A.D. So we know that this interval is at least 38 years. It's, from experience, it's almost 2,000. And yet, uh, we are approaching a seven-year period that is the most documented period of, uh, in all the Bible, in the Old and New Testament. Now, you know, Jesus gave a confidential briefing of a second coming. Four disciples came to him confidentially for a second coming. His answer is recorded in Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21. We'll take a quick look at some of the remarks about Matthew 24. As he sat up on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming in the end of the world? Pretty neat questions, huh? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no man deceive you. He opens and closes this briefing by admonishing him, don't, don't be confused. Don't let no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye not be troubled. All these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. I want you to notice that phrase. The, these are not signs. You always see people with prophecy books and stuff, they list all these signs. You know, there's wars and rumors of wars. No, no. Jesus listed that and said, those are, the end is not yet. Those are not signs. For nations shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines, pestilence, earthquakes in diverse places. These are all not signs. We've had those for centuries. All these are the beginning of sorrows, like birth pangs. They may increase in intensity and so forth, but those aren't the signs. The key event of end-time prophecy is in verse 15 of Matthew 24. Jesus pointed his disciples to Daniel 9 as the key to all end-time prophecy. He said to them, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. And he goes on to say, You drop everything. Don't even go for your coat. You get out of there. You split and you split now. That's really what he's saying. How many of you read that with me, either in your Bible or on the screen? Just then? I played a dirty trick on you. See, Jesus said, Whoso readeth, let him understand. When you read that, you incurred an obligation. The Lord told you, you need to understand that. Well, what on earth is that all about? What is the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet? It's something that can stand in the holy place. It turns out to be the ultimate idol. The most, the most uh, upsetting idol that you could put before God. It's, the, it's an abomination, an idol. It's the one that makes us desolate. It's in the holy place. 
It's only happened once before in history, and that's how we know so much about it, because it was a, a, a an event two centuries before Jesus said that. So you can look at it historically and understand what he was using as that, that phrase. See, when you get to the 70th week, the last verse of these four, last of the four verses in Daniel 9, it says, and he, meaning the princess shall come, shall enforce the covenant. Doesn't sign a treaty. He enforces the covenant with the many. That's an idiom for Israel. For one week. This is the final week of the 70. In the midst of the week, he shall cause a sacrifice and the oblation to cease. That's how we know the temple is standing. We don't know when it's going to be built, but we do know it's standing by the middle of that week. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate even until the consummation. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Now, as we look at the panorama of history, if you're familiar with our over, our, our overview called Learn the Bible in 24 Hours. You're familiar with this timeline that I put up on the screen. And uh, we are been looking at this period just of the exile, Persian Empire, Greek Empire, Roman Empire period. Just, and uh, and uh, obviously, the, uh, back in the... In the we, we've been talking in, in Ezra and Nehemiah with the, the, the Persian Empire. It's going to be succeeded by the Greek Empire. And after Alexander conquers the known world at that time... He passed away shortly thereafter, and his four generals divided up. And one of those major, the two, the two strong guys are the Ptolemies to the south and the Seleucids to the uh, to the east, north and east. And, uh, and the salute, the, the the period between the, the so-called silent period between the testaments, we sometimes call the four hundred years between the Old and New Testament the silent years. No, they're written in advance. They're all in Daniel eleven, laid out in detail. But one of those leaders is a guy named Antiochus Epiphanes, who not only um, well, let's just focus on one thing. He really set out to upset the Jews. And he ultimately erects an idol to Jupiter, or to Zeus, I should say, in the Holy of Holies. And that is that, the expression that's used about that is it was the abomination that maketh desolate. It, it, it triggered the Maccabean revolt. And uh, that's never happened since, but Jesus said that it'll happen in the future. And so we look to the temple being rebuilt in order to, have, to experience that desecration. Now, what's interesting about all of this, the Septuagint translation precedes all that. It was Ptolemy Philadelphus that sponsored the translation of the Old Testament into Greek, and we have four versions of that work product available to us. And that was in, that was, in fact, it became the Christian's Bible in the New Testament, obviously. Because when you speak of the scriptures in the New Testament, you're talking about typically the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And so, but Antiochus Epiphanes, he made the Torah reading punishable by death. He slaughtered a sow upon the altar. And if you know how Jews feel about pork and how they feel about their sacred altar, you can imagine how that went over. It didn't stop there. He erected an idol to Zeus in the Holy of Holies, which is called the abomination of desolation specifically. And that's going to happen again. Several times in history, various leaders tried to do that, but God always intervened. It's never happened since. We're waiting for it to happen. And that, that event triggered the Maccabean Revolt. And in three years, they threw off the yoke of the Seleucid Empire. They rededicated the temple. On the, he, he desecrated the whole, this, this idol in the Holy of Holies was done on his birthday, Antiochus IV's birthday. And three years, uh, they after they, they threw off the yoke. Three years, they destroyed everything that the Greeks had, uh, had desecrated, made new ones. They rededicated the temple, and they celebrate that to this day, called Hanukkah. Don't let the colorful legends that surround that holiday confuse you. The purpose of it is to celebrate the rededication of the temple. And the New Testament authorizes, I mean, authenticates that celebration in John chapter 10, verse 22. But uh, the 70th week, it's, a, it, it's defined by a covenant being enforced. In order for the 
the world leader to enforce that covenant, he has to be in power to do so. In order to be in power, he has to be visible. He has to be revealed. And Second uh, Thessalonians 2 indicates that he will not be revealed until after the rapture. So we don't have to waste your time trying to second-guess the details. The covenant is presumably going to be enforced for seven years, but in the middle of that seven years, the abomination of desolation is set up. And the time from the abomination to the end, Jesus himself labels as the great tribulation. And the scripture speaks of the two halves as three and a half years, 42 months, 1260 days. Both the Old and New Testament document that precise period of time with uh, more, more thoroughly than any other period of time in the entire Bible. So it's something you need to study to, to learn about. A couple of ter- terminology things we talk about from the exile, from Nebuchadnezzar to the Antichrist, is the times of the Gentile dominion of planet Earth, the times of the Gentiles. Don't confuse that with the fullness of the Gentiles, which is a term Paul uses of the church. And, uh, there, you know, one, one, and of course the tribulation is from the close of the church until the establishment of the kingdom. And so, what Jesus said is that all these last things, that is, the tribulation and so forth, um, I believe will happen within the, within the, within one generation. Now remember the 70th week, the tribulation is not seven years, it's three and a half years, the last half of that week. So we often wonder where we are. We've been, the, the, the Jewish clock has stopped, uh, after 69 weeks when they rejected their Messiah. But we also know that that clock is about to start again. Jesus says in Hosea 5 verse 15, I go and to return to my place, which means he must have left it, until they acknowledge their offense. In their affliction, they will seek me earnestly. And that's the purpose of the last seven years. We have a seven years left and we have reason to suspect that that stopwatch is not far from being started again to finish off the last seven of the six of the seventy. Now, something most people don't know, I'm indebted to Clarence Larkin back in 1919 was the first that I'm aware of that observed this. The time from Abraham to the Exodus was about 505 years. Genesis 12:4 identifies 75 years. Galatians 3:17 identifies 4:30. If you add those together, it's 505. But during those 505, 15 years, Ishmael could be reviewed, viewed as a, a usurper. So if you take the 15 from the 505, you get 490 years. Well, okay. So, so what? Well, from Exodus to the temple is uh, temple was uh, begun and then and and uh, uh, and then completed. 594 years plus seven it adds up to 601. But if you ex, if you list the servitudes, there were six of them in the book of the Judges. Mesopotamia for eight years, the Moabites for 18, the Canaanites for 20, the Midianites for seven, the Ammonites for 18, and the Philistines for 40. You add that 111. If you take the 111, if you, if you take the calendar time and subtract from that when Israel's out of favor, you get another 490 years. It's kind of interesting. From the temple to the edict of Artaxerxes, the temple was 1005 B.C., the Nehemiah's uh, edict came out in 445 B.C., that's 560 years. But we talked, we said 70 of them, they're in captivity, right? So we got 560 minus 70, you get another 490 years. What's, uh, and from Artaxerxes to the second coming is the 69 weeks, 69 times 7, which is 483. Take out the church interval while the diaspora is going on and all of that, and then put add in your seven years. So again, you get, if you take the, 490 years, um, yeah, it adds up anyway to 490 years. So what's interesting is the 70 times, when, when they asked Jesus 
You know, how often do I need to forgive my brother? Seven times? No, he said 70 times seven. Most of us read that and suspect that what he, it's just a figure of speech. I mean, plenty, you know. I don't think we sit down and count. Well, I've, I've forgiven you, Ron, for 483. I've got seven left. I've got to forgive you. You know, we don't do that, do we? But it's interesting that what, my, what might lie behind that figure of speech is the fact that there have been four episodes of 490 years in Israel's history. And each time it's been longer calendar-wise, we just subtract the time they're in disfavor. And it always comes out to 400, periods of 490 years, which I think is kind of interesting, 70 times 7. So for what it's worth, that may not be anything. So, so that is our closing of the first two chapters of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is going to teach us many things. He's a real leader, lots of practical lessons, very critical period of history, and uh, very exciting times. No, it's the more you study your Bible and the more you get into these various things, the more you cannot escape the realization that God means what He says and says what He means. That His Word is precise. And Jesus said so in Matthew 5, 17 and 18. He says, not one yacht or one tittle. He says, think not that I come to destroy the Torah or the prophets. I come not to destroy but to fulfill. Not one yacht or one tittle shall pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Now a yacht or a tittle are Hebraisms. A yacht is like a, you and I would mistake it for an apostrophe. It's the smallest little mark of one of the 22 Hebrew letters, a yacht. And the uh, tittle is the little decorative hook on some of the letters. And the way you would paraphrase that in English, I suspect, it would say, not the crossing of a T or the dotting of an I will pass until all the law is fulfilled. Now that, that's a call to taking it seriously. Literally. In Second Kings seven twenty three, he talked about Solomon. The, the fact that the value of pi is hidden in in the Hebrew text, in effect, and so on. The more you study the Scripture, you start peeling that onion. You discover behind each of these things is a discovery. Any time you find a, what appears to be a contradiction in the Scripture, and I'm not talking about some uh, scribal quibbles. Obviously, in the translations, there's been some some minor uh, things, but they're trivial. But in the in the in the originals, the Scripture is uh, is incredibly precise. And anytime you think you find a, a, a contradiction, rejoice, because behind that apparent contradiction will be a discovery of something a little clearer, a little more precise. And it's a lifetime pursuit. There's I don't care which book of the Bible you may have taught in the, your Bible study class, but when you teach it the next time, you'll discover something new. One of the it's not just the book of John or the hidden things in Esther, it's the whole Bible. You cannot, uh, as a guy who studied it for 50 years, taught it for over 30, I can tell you every time I go through a book that I've taught many times, I stand back with joy because I know there's going to be behind some little nook or cranny, there's going to be something new, something fresh. Why? Because it's God's Word, that means it's inexhaustible, you cannot exhaust it. And it's, a, it's a, every treasure reveals others. The more you know about your Bible, the more you discover things you didn't know about your Bible. And it's a, it's a, it's the great adventure. It is the great adventure. But this uh, prophecy of Daniel 9, I wanted to uh, include as an addenda for obvious reasons. It's, but to me, it's very personal because it was the, it was the discovery of that. I, I happened to uh, get involved in that as a teenager. In those days, Sir Robert Anderson's book was out of print. But a good friend happened to have a copy and gave me one. And I was just absolutely blown away by it. It now is available in any Christian bookstore. It's back in print. Um, and uh, it's, it's, if you're a serious student of prophecy, you want to start there. You want to really understand Daniel 9. 
and uh, it's 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 the most uh, most convincing apologetic in the scriptures, as far as I'm concerned. It's irrefutable. It's understandable if you lay it out, and yet it demonstrates the that it's impossible for Christ not to have been who He said He was. And then on top of that, it carries as a benefit the outline of all end-time prophecy. If you understand Daniel 9, all the pieces will fit together. If you're confused about that, many people writing books are confused about that. Their scenarios are confused too. They can't put... But if you understand that, pretty much, not almost everything fits right into place. Let's stand for a closing word of prayer. Well, Father, we just praise you and thank you for who you are. And we thank you for your word, Father. We thank you that you have given us this little treasure of four verses that have survived the centuries of attack and obfuscation by the skeptics that it leaps out at us screaming the truth that Jesus indeed was the Mashiach Naged, the Messiah of Israel. Oh, Father, we thank you for that insight. And above all, we thank you for going to such extremes that we might know him, that we might have an inheritance that goes beyond our comprehension. We thank you, Father, that you have loved us so much. We would ask, Father, that through your Holy Spirit and your word, you would help each of us to discover and perhaps rediscover what it is you'd have of us in the days that remain. Help us, Father, to make our priorities your priorities. Help us, Father, to be sensitive to your heart and what you would have of us in these days as we commit ourselves without any reservation into your hands in the name of Yeshua, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Nehemiah. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-K-HOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.